Thank the Lord that it'll never lose its power. Praise the Lord. Appreciate that. Alex learned I don't have any problem recruiting our visitors to sing. So I <laughs> appreciate their willingness. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. We are in the middle of a series we've been working on, uh, Lessons from the Life of Jonathan. And Jonathan's one of those characters that we know who he is, we know something about him, but really we kind of know him as Saul's son and David's friend, and that's that usually just about amounts to all we know about him. But um, he, was a, he was a mighty man of God in his own right, and uh, as we've studied about him so far, this being our third third message um, from him. Oftentimes when we read these passages, we, we look at uh, either King Saul or uh, David as the central figure, and um, just looking at some of these passages through the eyes of Jonathan has, has been interesting and helpful. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning and reading in verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, and I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, said unto him, Let no, uh, I'm sorry, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hands, and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore, then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul sware, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And David called, or, and Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence, as in times past. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you care for us. Testimony this morning, the songs that we've sang remind us of your care for us, and we thank you for it. We ask that you would anoint these lips of clay one more time. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be honored in all that's said and done. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I think perhaps the saddest thing about our generation, about this time frame, and I know that there's probably many of us who have opinions about that. It seems as though our culture has been moving further and further from Christ, and, and maybe, there's, maybe there's room for debate here, but I think that the greatest tragedy of our day is how many people are looking for a real friend and don't have one. 
Facebook has given us this illusion of friendship and we can boast of our thousand or fifteen hundred or however many friends you have on Facebook, but are they really your friend? Are they really a friend? And as I think about that, and I think about how lonely our society is, in fact, uh, research is showing us that if you have one true friend, you're considered lucky, if you have one. Not five, not three, not even two. If you have one really good friend, you're considered lucky. Most people don't even have that. And I think, wow. That, that has got to be the, uh, the saddest, most, most heartbreaking thing for, for people to be going through life wanting, always wanting to have this meaningful relationship, this meaningful friendship, and they just can't find it. I think one of the reasons for that is, is that we really don't even know what a friend is. We don't even know what it means to have a meaningful relationship with someone. Marriages last, on average, three, four years. Why? Because we don't know what it means to have a meaningful relationship. Things get difficult. Things get hard. Things are, don't happen the way that we want them to, to work. And, and it's easy to just move on. And we move on to the next relationship and the next one and the next one and we can't figure out what the problem is. It's always the other person's fault. And how many times have you heard women say there just aren't any good men anymore? Or women, uh, and men who have said the same thing about women. It's always the other side's fault. <laughs> Alex, don't be a little too eager over here. <laughs> I appreciate the amens, but they're not too eager. <laughs> Don't want to give you marriage counseling later. <laughs> we struggle. And we can point to the world, but even in our circles, how easy is it to come to church and we have our church services and we're church friends but that's really all we are is church friends. Maybe we spend some time fellowshipping after the service, certainly not before because we're all getting here, you know, last minute. <laughs> or past the last minute. It's a good thing we don't lock the doors when it's at start time. So maybe we stay and chat for a little bit after the service. And then all the week long, do we connect with any of our church friends? So oftentimes in so many weeks, we really don't unless we're related to them. And is that really, is that really, a, is that really what friendship is about? I believe that even in our circles, we struggle to have meaningful, deep friendships. I think we really do. I remember I was working with a, a young person around the altar, 
And uh, he told me that all he needed was him and God. Him and God. I thought, buddy, you have apparently not read the Bible. God said to, after he created Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. And I know that's a good testimony for a wife, but it's also a good testimony about friends. And you can go through Scripture and Elijah, Elijah, had, when he was by himself, went into depression and God had to give him an Elisha, giving him a deep, meaningful relationship with someone so that and we find that after that happens, we don't see Elijah in that deep depression again. And we can, of course, David and Jonathan, we can talk about, um, and then going in the New Testament, Jesus had his 12, he had the inner circle of three. Paul had Barnabas, and then he had Silas. Barnabas had first Paul, and then he had John Mark. Timothy and Titus. I mean, the list goes on and on of how that God's people have always worked best in meaningful relationship. And this is a part that we don't preach. And this is a part that we don't teach. And this is a part that we kind of ignore. And you know why we do it? Because we're not very good at it ourselves. And why would we preach about it? Why would we teach about it when... Whoa, the conviction that we could have ourselves. If I asked you this morning what the definition of a real friend is, what would you say? What would you think of as a real friend? There's all sorts of definitions I guess we could have. So... For me, I think it's someone that I can count on anytime, any place, with any problem. If I have someone that I know that if I have a problem at 3 a.m. that I can call them and, I, and I'm 100 miles away and they still will do their best to meet my need. To me, that's what a real friend is. But there's, I guess there's other definitions. Maybe we all have little different definitions, and maybe that's one of the struggles that we have in making meaningful friends is that we all have different definitions. I think the biggest thing is perhaps that we just don't feel like we need them. We have our work relationships. We have our church relationships. We have our families. We don't really need friends. But what happens when we get into the hard parts of life? When, when this passage of Scripture, when this is taking place, David is just now entering into the hardest trial of his entire life. Yes, he's going to face some other difficulties. He's going to have problems. Absalom's going to betray him. But that's going to be short-lived. Short this is going to be a long, dark trial. David doesn't know this yet. All he, all he knows is that Jonathan comes to him and the, tells him that the king wants him dead, and David has no idea why. 
I think another reason that we struggle with friendships and, and relationships, you know, we can search and search and search, but oftentimes we're not the kind of person that can have friends. We're not the kind of, you know, the proverb writer says that he that has friends must show himself friendly. And so you don't have any friends. Well, well, why is it that you don't have any friends? Well, well, whenever anybody's nice to me, the first thing I do is I dump all my problems on them. Well, that's friendly. <laughs> you're not looking for a friend. You're looking for a therapist. <laughs> that's funny, but man, that's very accurate. We're, we don't act very friendly. We're not willing to, to take the risk involved. And do you know what? There is some vulnerability that comes with being a friend. David put his life in Jonathan's hands. David is literally allowing Jonathan to know his secret hiding place, the place that he's going to hide from King Saul. He is allowing Jonathan the information that could lead to his own demise. And yet, based on their love for each other, their friendship with one another, David can do so with confidence. And I know that there's some in your heart that want to stand up and scream, but wait a minute, I had a friend betray me. And you know what? If you are willing to risk vulnerability, there are going to be those that are going to betray you. I think one of the most powerful acts of affection is a hug. Because you have to open your arms to show that you are vulnerable. You have, you have no defenses. And if you remember, Joab kills Abner in a hug. It's vulnerable. And if you open your arms to somebody, there is potential that they will betray you. And you know what? It gives many of us an excuse not to have a friend and to not be friendly and to not be vulnerable and to not be the kind of person that can have friends because once betrayed you know, we're going to follow that old advice, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I, I'm just, I'm going to be wise here. I'm not, I'm not going to let anybody do that to me again. And we go through life kicked and beaten up and lonely, but we certainly aren't vulnerable to anybody. We've got our walls up. We're protected. No one's ever going to put me in that place again. Folks, life's hard. If you don't know that, I, I, I'm sorry, but life is, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes life is just miserable. I'm not trying to be depressing this morning, but sometimes life just beats you up. Things happen that we don't expect. I, I have a friend that, that worked all of his life, had done great, and uh, saved up. He had retired 
had it all in the stock market, and when that recession hit in, what was it, 08, he lost everything and had to go back to work. Already past retirement. Life's hard. Did he do anything wrong? No. Did he betray God? Did he stand in that process? Not as far as I know. I don't think he did. Life's just sometimes hard. Loved ones pass. Jobs are lost. Move to Mexico or somewhere else. Prices go up and our wages go down or stay stagnant. Life's hard. And sometimes your spouse is not getting you and you're not getting them. That happens. Happens in every marriage. If it hasn't happened to you yet, you're doing something wrong. That's not a good thing. It means one of you is just saying yes and is being a doormat. That's not a healthy thing. Life's sometimes just rough. And we've got to risk being vulnerable. We've got to risk being real with someone. And they might hurt us. And they might disappoint us. I don't think you should tell your life secrets in the first, you know, five weeks of friendship. I think it's, you build to this. And what amazes me about Jonathan and, and David's relationship is, is their relationship is so powerful and, and so full of love that the homosexuals point and say these guys were having a homosexual relationship. And I'm like, wait a minute, David's married to his, his, this guy's sister. This is not about homosexuality. This is about being real and really loving somebody. And when we are like this, the world who doesn't know anything about true, authentic friendship thinks it has to turn into something uh, physically intimate, into something sexual. They think, man, that's weird. No, this is what God created us for. God intended us for to us to be people of relationship. Relationship is so key to what uh, God has put into us. In fact, it is who He is. It's why there's three in one. It's because even though He's one God, He's in, re in relationship. And when man was created, He had, man had to have a partner. It couldn't just be the animals. There had to be more. There had to be more because we were created this way. And it's beyond the physical. There's something spiritual that happens here. Even amongst unsaved people who become friends like this, there's a spiritual, metaphysical event that takes place. It needs to take place. We need this component. So what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to really, really demonstrate that we're a friend. And, and Jonathan does three things here that really, I feel like, sets the stage for us to help us to really understand what it means to be a close personal friend. The first thing that I noticed is that Jonathan gave David life advice. He said, David, I'm coming to you. I want you to know my father's going to kill you. 
you need to go hide yourself until morning and, and then I'll come get you. But, but you need to hide yourself for now. Dad is going to kill you. Do you know what David could have said? I slew a Philistine. I killed Goliath. You know, I, I, I went out and I, I killed 100 Philistines after that. I mean, I'm the greatest general in King Saul's army. First of all, I don't think Saul's going to kill me because he needs me. And uh, also, even if he tried to kill me, I'm a better warrior than he is anyways. He was cowering before Goliath. I took him out. I don't think that, that your dad could take me. And do you know what? That is the kind of behavior that most of us fall into when someone gives us advice. One of the Greek philosophers, I can't re remember his name, and if I could, I probably would pronounce it wrong anyways, said this, many receive advice, but only the wise benefit from it. There's some people who are so free with their advice, they hand it to anybody and everybody, and they just scatter their advice all over the place, and nobody wanted it in the first place. But here's the difference. When it is a friend that speaks into your life, when a friend says to you, listen, you need to heed this. I'm really concerned about this. And they're speaking it from a position of love and concern for you. That's a true friend. It, you know, it, but when I was... A, this is kind of a funny story, but when I was a young person riding the school bus, we were, we'd gotten to the school, and, and the bus driver stood up, and she was talking at us. I don't know what she was saying. I probably wasn't paying attention. She was talking to us. And it was all this whispering around me. And finally, and someone whispered to me and said, you see the bus driver? She's got, her skirt is unzipped. And everybody's whispering all this. And I just said, Mrs. Janoski, your, your, your skirt's unzipped. She has zipped it up, and she said, at least one of you had the courtesy to tell me what the problem was instead of just talking about it. Now, you know me. I'm the one that just tells it how it is. I guess that's always that way. But, you know, I, what good is it to talk and laugh and tee-hee? I wouldn't have noticed if someone else hadn't have set, told me. But everybody could talk about it, but nobody was going to address it with the person that could take care of the problem. So oftentimes, we are afraid to speak into the people's lives that we love and we care about because we're afraid that they're going to respond negatively towards us. I want to ask you a question. Who in your life has the ability to speak truth into it? into your life? Who has the ability to say to you, there's spinach in your teeth? Who in your life has the ability to say to you, you're making a wrong choice and you're hurting your family? Who has the ability in your life to say, you know what, that's not a wise action and if you go down that, that path, you're really going to hurt yourself and the people you love. Who can do that in your life? And if you don't think of anybody who can and who has, 
it might be a reflection of whether you can receive advice or not, whether you have been friendly or not. I think the most dangerous place that we can get to, and this is a place that we're kind of, and we're forcing this in our culture, is that we cannot receive the wounds of a friend. Isn't that what the proverb writer calls it? The wounds of a friend. A friend who says, I know this might hurt you, but I love you enough that I have to tell you this. And what do I do with that? Yeah, it hurts. And it hurts when a friend says something like that. But man, don't you want to hear it? What if Jonathan never told David? Maybe he was worried about David's reaction and never would have told him. David might have been killed. I'm sure God could have protected him in another way, but maybe he wouldn't have. Maybe, maybe some of the heartaches in our lives, those really hard things that I was talking about earlier, maybe the reason that we've gone through those is because no one had the courage or the belief in us to speak to us before it became a disaster. And that's heartbreaking. All the the perils that we could have avoided if we just would have been open to a friend saying truth into our lives. Now I know there's real danger here. We can take advice that's not biblical or unhelpful. Some people give advice in mean-spirited ways. I know there's a lot of danger points here. And we can, and, but here's the thing. We get stuck in all the danger points that we miss out on the blessing points. We get stuck in all the things that could go wrong. That we miss out on helping each other. I wonder how many people this morning are in hell because their friends could not tell them you're making some bad choices. Either they didn't have the courage to or they knew that that person would never listen to them if they said something. And I wonder if some of us might be headed in that same direction and the people who know us and love us and could arrest our attention before it's too late. They can't because we're stubborn. Jonathan came, comes and he gives advice. And he says, David, my dad's messed up. He's seeking to kill you. Hide. Let me try to work it out. And David heeds that advice. Not only does Jonathan give his friend advice, but he advocates for his friend. He stands up for his friend. Do you know it's, it's harmful, it's, it's painful, it, it hurts when people talk bad about us, but do you know what's worse is when the people who claim to be our friends are silent while, the other, while they're talking. I assume if they're our friends, they're not going to join in. 
We hope not. But you know, it's, it's, it's just very harmful. It just hurts. And let me just throw this in free of charge. Spouses, husbands, wives, don't let your parents talk bad about your mate. Don't let them do that. You pick them. You chose your husband. You chose your wife. And no, they're not perfect. And yes, they've got their flaws. But don't let your parents talk down about your husband or your wife. If your parents have an opinion, they can either keep it to themselves or they can speak to your mate and directly and say, I'm concerned and give advice in loving, kind ways. But if they're just talking down your mate, don't you let them. And I know that we have to honor and respect our parents, but we have a duty to our, our marriage to protect it and not to allow others to run down our spouse. And so that, I'm throwing that in free. We're talking about friendship and not marriage, but this is, this is an area that in our holiness movement we do not do a good job of. We don't protect our mates the way we should, and as parents, we need to be careful the way we talk about our in-laws. Because they, they've made a vow before God, and if we contribute to the breaking of that vow, I do not believe we'll be held guiltless. Jonathan doesn't keep silent before his father. He doesn't join in in criticizing David. He stands up and says, pulls him aside. They're in the field. He's not in front of the man. He's not embarrassing his dad. He's not dishonoring his father. He says, Dad, I don't understand how you can want to kill David when all he's done is good to you. He's not sinned against you. He's not talked bad about you. He's not hurt you in any way. I don't understand how you can shed innocent blood. This isn't like you. Now, if you go back to the previous chapter, we find out why Saul feels this way. God's giving David victories. Michael, his, Saul's daughter, loves David, in fact, this is, as far as I, understand, as I understand it, this is the only place in all Scripture where a woman is said to love a man. One place, Michael, who loves David. She loves her husband, and Saul's jealous of the love of, of his daughter towards this man, the love of the people towards this man, and probably the love of Jonathan towards this man. And he sees that God is with him. He knows that kingdom is being taken from him. And he has a pretty good idea at this point. It's David who's going to get the kingdom. It's, uh, the stars are aligning, if you want to use that phrase. The people, the princess, the prince... God, everything is lining up. David is the one who's going to get my kingdom. And I better kill him before he kills me. He fears and is jealous of David. But Jonathan shows up and he says, wait a minute. Yes, God's with him and yes, People love him, but he hasn't done anything against you. 
He hasn't sinned against you. He's done nothing to demonstrate that he's going to kill you. He's done nothing to demonstrate he's trying to undermine your authority. He's done nothing to demonstrate that he's trying to rip the kingdom from your hands. He, he's not done anything to show that he is worthy of death. And he stands up to his father and says, this is wrong. And thank God for friends who will stand up and say, wait a minute. My friend may not be perfect and they may have their flaws, but you're not allowed to talk about them that way. I think that a lot of our problems in our, in our churches and in our homes come from this lack of ability to stand up for someone. We join in on it. Churches who get together and pick on the pastor and undermine his ministry. And he may, <laughs> whatever pastor you're going to have is going to have flaws. You can pick them apart. You can get together. Folks, I, I'm, I'm easy pickings. <laughs> I have more flaws than I care to admit. But we can focus on those and we can talk about And do you know what happens when we do that? We can't see the good. Because the negativity feeds on negativity. And it begets a, it's like a snowball going down a hill. It just gets bigger and bigger until pretty soon we have an avalanche when all it started off was one little thing that could have been dealt with if we would have handled it God's way. Or maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Or maybe it's someone else. But we have this issue that we don't stand up for each other. And thank God for Jonathan, who won't let his father slay his friend. He's going to stand up and say, this isn't right. Now, who are you standing up for? Uh, who stands up for you? I remember, this is years ago. I was, I was at a church. I was visiting a church. And this pastor had, well, let's just say I had reason that I could have run him down. I had legitimate reasons. They had hurt me. But I was, I was visiting some friends and that attended that church, and they started running down their pastor to me. And I just, I just said no. I said, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of that. I really had some juicy things I had to say, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think it was right. So I just took a stand. I said, I don't want to talk bad about your pastor. I don't know that I really defended him. I probably could have a little more, but it was really hard because they had hurt me. And what they were saying may or may not have been true. I didn't know. But I said, I just don't want to talk bad. I don't want to run down this pastor. Do you know what happened? It wasn't through me. That pastor found out that I didn't allow them to talk bad to me. It had nothing to do with me. And they thanked me for it. 
And I do believe that that was the beginning of the reconciling of our relationship. I believe that was the start of the fixing of our relationship, that ha- even though they had wounded me, but they had, I had an opportunity to undermine them, and I didn't. And you can have good reason, because you know what? The devil will give you reasons. If you want them, he'll give them to you. Our brains are great at imagining and recalling all the little slights done to us. If we want them, Satan will provide them to us in abundance. But it takes a real friend to say, I'm taking a stand. I'm not allowing you to talk bad. I'm not going to allow you to harm someone that I care about. Finally, I want to tell you that Jonathan assisted David. After, after Saul says that he's not going to, to kill David, it's Jonathan that goes and gets David and brings him back into father's court. Do you know what would have happened if David would have showed up at court without Jonathan? I don't know that Saul would have kept his promise to his son. Saul's a hothead. Saul gets mad and, he, and, and midst of playing an instrument, all David's doing is playing a song and, and, and perhaps singing for, for Saul, and he's throwing javelins at him. I mean, I have never been tempted to throw anything at any of our musicians. Just have never. All of them breathe a sigh of relief. If I come to church tonight with a javelin, you know. <laughs> Saul's a hothead. He wants, he wants David to... And yes, Jonathan's talked him down, but if David would have shown up by himself without Jonathan's assistance, I don't know what would have happened. Do you know there's a lot of people who go through life, and this is their, their brag, I've lived my life myself. I've never asked anyone for help. And do you know what I think? First of all, you're naive. Nobody gets through life without help. From the time you were a baby, you needed your mother and your father's help. You go to school and the teachers that taught you, helped you. And then you go into work and, and there's people there that teach you how to do the job and people who support you and, and, and then our church. and I mean, just on and on. And I really believe that you could hardly get through a single day without someone's help. We're dependent on each other. The question is, is whether we do so willingly and knowingly or whether we just kind of go through life so focused on ourselves It doesn't matter who we trample in the process. Jonathan's love for David says, David, I know what dad said, but I'm not going to let you back into dad's presence without first walking with you. I want to make sure dad's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. I'm going to help you make your uh, way back into dad's presence. When you go to Walmart... And you're looking for something, and you go to the person they say, and you say, 
can you tell me where you keep your fabric softener? And they say, yeah, over uh, uh, down, you know, aisles, you know, 10 or 11, something down there. It's just down there, and you can find it. Thank you. Now I know where to go. Or do you prefer when they say, here, let me show you, and they take you and they walk you to the place, and they say, here's where we keep our fabric softener. Isn't that mean more to you than them just telling you the location? Did they both assist you? Sure. But one took time out of what they were doing and said, I'm going to make you the center of my attention, the center of my world for just two minutes. And I'm going to make sure that you can find exactly what you're looking for. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? You, you can leave both of those scenarios you've left with your fabric softener, but one you feel greater appreciation for. The one just did their job. The other one went above and beyond. And I wonder as Christians, are we just doing our jobs? As friends, are we just doing our jobs? Are we going above and beyond? Jesus said, if you're compelled to go one mile, go another. Are you helping these people just as much as we can get away with? Or are we going above what we're called or asked to do? I think we can give assistance without caring. We can throw money at a situation. We can, we can give advice without taking an active role. And sometimes it's going to take some sweat, and sometimes it's going to take some time. But if we want friends, we're going to have to show ourselves friendly. If we want people to take time for us, you know, I, I hear a lot, see a lot of the older folks that are say, that'll say, you know, about taking care of their parents in their old age and spending time and calling them and so forth. And, and I don't because I don't want to cause a scene or a fuss, but I, I often wonder, did you do that for your kids when they were in their 30s and you were, you know, not too terribly old? Were you the one to call? Were you the one to visit? Did you demonstrate this while they were coming up? Did you do this for your parents? Did your kids see that you did this for your parents? You see, oftentimes we receive what we have given. Whether we have friends is because we've been friendly. Whether people call us and, and encourage us uh, encourage us? Are we the one that calls and encourages others? And I understand that you, can, that you can do and not receive. David certainly did for Saul and didn't receive back what he should have received. All the things that David does for Saul, Saul should have loved David, but he didn't. But oftentimes we receive back exactly what we've given. Not always. There's exceptions. But you know what? Even in, even in David's case with Saul, he gave it to Saul, but it was Jonathan who gave it back. It was Michael, his wife, who gave it back. All these things that, that, that 
uh, David was doing for King Saul, he received not from Saul, but from others who saw the kind of man David was. And so maybe it's not the one that you demonstrated friendliness to that becomes your friend. But people see the kind of person you are. By the way you conduct yourself. By the way that you live. This is kind of cliche. We Pastors were, were, were known for doing this. But you know, as I was going through this, I couldn't help but think about how Christ did all of these things for us. Doesn't he show us the way, the advice that he gives, that speaks into our lives, the truth that we need? And doesn't the Bible say that we have an advocate with the Father who pleads for us? And doesn't he assist us each day as we go about our business? I just... I'm not just trying to spiritualize this. I, I think this is both a spiritual and a thing that we carry out, that we live. But as, as I think about Christ doing it for us, I remember that we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. I want to be the kind of person that shows himself friendly, that I can give and I can take advice when it's needed that I can be an advocate, that, I, that I'm going to stand up for people the best that I can. And if I can't stand up for them, at least I'm not going to join in on the, on the attacks. I'm going to help as many people as I can. Oh, that God would help us to be a people that shows themselves friendly and stand together. Brother West, would you dismiss us in prayer? Would you say?